0: Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Get the inside scoop on how to help your child become successful in and out of school. As parents, we know that your child can sometimes forget to share the notes from their backpack. That's why we've launched this podcast just for you. Welcome to Notes from the Backpack. I'm Helen Westmoreland flying solo today while Lawanda spends some much deserved vacation time with her family. You are listening to our new mini-series, Teacher Talk. This season, we are giving teachers the mic. We want to know what makes them so passionate about their work in the classroom and learn their thoughts on key education issues. Today, we're talking about the impact of COVID-19 and the hotly contested phrase, learning loss. What are teachers seeing behind the scenes to help us parents understand what we can do to help our kids catch up or keep up? So, I am excited to introduce to you today, Miss Angela Burley. Angela Burley teaches sixth grade world cultures at Sarah Zimwant Middle in Dallas, Texas, where she's also the sixth grade department chair and social studies lead. Angela is also a distinguished teacher in the Dallas Independent School District, a State of Texas Master Teacher, and a 2021-22 Teach Plus Texas Policy Fellow. Welcome to the show, Angela.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. We are so
0: (laughs) excited to have you here today. So we like to start off with our guest just learning a little bit about your background. So I am curious, Ms. Burley, what made you want to go into the classroom and become a teacher?
1: It's so funny because I have a twin sister, and then we have a little sister who's 11 years younger than us. So we were her mothers. Oh. We bathed her. I mean, you know, my mom wanted to teach us responsibility. Of course. So, <laughs> so growing up, I'm not a kid-type person. People have babies, mm. and they bring them into the room. and Oh, let me hold the baby. I'm not that type of person. I never really have been. So I really wasn't interested in being around kids. It was not my desire. I went to school for Oh, that's for so psych- funny. Yeah. At all. I didn't even yeah. think I liked kids. I really did not <laughs> think I liked kids. So I married a youth minister. My first husband was a youth minister and he dealt with the youth, teenagers, thought that was great. They needed a Sunday school teacher and I became a kindergarten Sunday school teacher. Wow. And I was in retail management. And I'm telling you, I spent more time preparing those kindergarten lessons for my Sunday school class than I spent on anything. And I loved it. I loved the interaction with the kids. I loved seeing their eyes light up. And I decided to become alternatively certified. And that's exactly how I became a Sunday school teacher, fell in love. And that was in 2000. It is 2022. I've been teaching ever since.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. What a story. So in those 22 years, you've probably seen a lot the same and also a lot change. I'm curious, particularly honing in on the past couple of years from your perspective as an educator, what have you seen behind the scenes going on with learning? How would you characterize some of the successes and challenges of the past couple of years?
1: Well, over 20 years, I'll start with the successes. We always say we should sandwich. So we start with the good and uh-huh. then a little bad. And then we, so <laughs> I'll start with some of the successes. I love the technologies that are available. I started with the overhead projector and the Ditto machine, the purple <laughs> machine that you used to yes, and the yes, overhead yes. projector. No computers. I mean, we had computers, but we didn't use them the way we use them now. No learning mm-hmm. management systems. No <laughs> computers in the classroom at all. And if we did, it was to play. What was it, Carmen San Diego? I think. Oh, I remember that <laughs> with the compact or, disc. Or <laughs> Oregon Trail. Oregon <laughs> Trail. <laughs> I yeah, remember yeah. that. So <laughs> I love the fact that we moved forward as far as technology is concerned. I love the movement towards equity and inclusion and cultural diversity, mm-hmm. because I can tell you, growing up in North Texas, I guess I have a twin sister, and I was on a military base, as a matter of fact. Mm. And my parents, every year, how many Black kids are in your room? <laughs> how oh, many Black wow. students are in your they room? They asked and you. My okay. parents would always ask because, number one, they would never put my sister and I in the same room. So I'd always be one or two. I didn't have a really good experience growing up. Through the education system, I can name probably five teachers that I model myself after, but mm-hmm. I could probably name 15 that I wouldn't. And as far as seeing teacher of color that looks like me in all of my 12, well, actually 13 years because I did kindergarten, I think I had three so mm. I love the diversity. I love the focus on cultural relevance and inclusion. I love that. But some of the problems, I have to say, is testing mm. and this machine of standards and accountability. Do we need standards and accountability? Absolutely. But It has become a testing culture. And I can say as a, I started off as a fourth grade English language arts and social studies teacher. We focused on it, but I could teach. Now it's to the point where you can't teach. If you're teaching in a low performing campus where I am, everything is about that test. Mm. So I would say that's probably the problems. Let's pick up
0: on that, because I think now we're all seeing headlines about kids are so far behind and what are we going to do to catch them up and the gaps are greater. Yeah, Honing in on that test piece for a minute, understanding the challenges of it. When we hear learning loss, like what does that mean to you in terms of what you see in your classroom every day?
1: I do think there is a lot of learning loss. I experienced it this year being a sixth grade teacher. The students who came to me this year were really technically third graders or Mm -hmm. like first semester fourth graders because they had not been in a classroom for like a year and a half. So there was a lot of learning loss because there's a lot of learning that takes place between the grades, third grade, and by the time they get into middle school. So we had students who didn't have basic skills like who don't know how to look things up in a dictionary because if you're Mm -hmm. learning online, you just Google it. But when they come back into the classroom, we do some glossary work or we teach them how to use their context clues. And this is just one thing yeah. that I can point out that I was surprised. I had the students, you don't know where that is. OK, look in the index to find where it is in the textbook. They did not know what I was talking about. And at first I'm like, y'all are in the sixth grade and you don't know. But then I remember it. I said, no, nope. mm-hmm. you probably haven't had a book in front of you for two years. So yes, there is some learning loss. And I think that as a teacher, we have to recognize it, and then we have to find ways to get kids where they need to be. Once we see it, we need to deal with it. And that is something that I've had to do this year. Rather than getting frustrated or feeling like, what's going on with these kids? Oh, y'all, you don't remember anything? Or like it's the child's fault. It's not. They've missed a lot of opportunities Mm -hmm. this last couple of years.
0: Yeah. So given what you're seeing, you started to answer this a little bit before, but how do you address some of those gaps in your classroom? Is it totally different than before and you're needing a whole lot of new supports and skill sets or are you sort of leaning into what you've always known as a teacher? How are you addressing
1: these big gaps you're seeing in your classroom? Well, I would love to have more support. (laughs) (laughs) I am advocating for it. In an ideal world, I would love for our students to be able to have like a virtual academy in the Mm -hmm. evenings. We have technology now on our campus. We didn't have one-to-one technology before COVID. We are a low-performing, impoverished community, but when COVID-19 came, the district made sure that every classroom was one-to-one, but now we're one-to-one, but they don't allow the students to take the technology home. I would love it if we could provide technology that could be taken home so that we could continue to work on those gaps. And of course, we don't do that by just creating night school. Because no kid is going to want to come to that. This is something that I wrote about. It's like, yes, we need to use this technology. Yes, we need to have virtual tutoring like after school or in in non-conventional times. But it has to be engaging. It has to be communal. Mm -hmm. As in, we're not just sitting here talking about ABCs and one, two, three. Let's do a culture building. Let's do some relationship building. A little SEL. I don't like to say SEL because that's the tag word. But good teachers should be and have been providing social-emotional learning since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we definitely need to lean into it more now. And also the final component, besides engaging lessons in a communal environment, is that we've got to have parental communication and connection. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I teach in a turnaround school. So I understand that my parents work at night. Mm-hmm. I understand mm-hmm. that my parents may not be in the position to provide support, or my parents might be grandparents or great-grandparents. Yeah, But yeah. one thing I have learned is that my parents love it when I communicate with them. Many of my parents, I just text them. I send a text. I let them know, hey, this is what's going on. This is their grades. Tutoring is this day. Is it okay if they stay? Sometimes they can stay. Sometimes they can't. So if we use the virtual technology where a kid is at home,
0: yeah. a kid
1: can be there with their little brother, little sister. Their little brother and little sister can join in on some of the activities. <laughs> it's so funny. During COVID-19, we had virtual school. We had just a handful of kids that actually came to the campus. I had like 25, but most of the students were at home. Mm -hmm. I had tutoring. And the teachers, we could not figure out how to do tutoring. We couldn't get kids to come to tutoring. So we started playing games. in nighttime at ZoomWall, we had a name for it. And I had a grandmother that regularly came, (laughs) and she sat and she answered questions. And I'd have to be like, okay, grandma, this is for the (laughs) kids. She was invested in that activity. Oh, she wanted to participate in everything. So that's you, oh, awesome. That's what yeah. we can do to tackle this learning loss.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and you hit on this a little bit earlier. I'm wondering if you could talk a little more about it. I'm imagining that the learning loss hasn't been the same for everyone, that some kids are probably coming in further behind because of the circumstances of their virtual learning experience. So how do you sort of address those different student where they are and abilities? Give us as parents a little behind the scenes look of like when you're thinking about your,
1: I guess, hundreds you've probably got I have 120. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> I have all of sixth grade.
0: <laughs> how do you think about how do you educate the kids coming in with so many different abilities because of the past couple of years, like where some of those learning loss have been exacerbated?
1: Yes, Well, I mean, I'm using as many techniques as I know how to use. A lot of visuals. I do use Google Learning Management System so that the students can work in the classroom or out of the classroom. Unfortunately, I teach a subject where I only see the kids every other day. I have 90 minutes, but our campus is what is called double-blocked for math and reading. So the students go to math and reading every single day. They see me every other day. So some mm-hmm. students see me three times a week, some students see me two times a week. So I have to do things like, oh gosh, this is so funny because we just had a big debate at our school. Just really Let quick, us in, let, let us in. <laughs> that was the debate. <laughs> well... I'm working on a joy project with the Black Teacher Project because I teach at a, it's called an ACE campus. It's a low-performing campus, impoverished. One thing I realize is missing is joy Mm. because when you're in a school that's low-performing and you have to meet the standard, you do this and you do that, they test every Thursday and they power DOL. So when they come to my room, although my curriculum is not state-tested, I do have ACPs, I teach world culture. So when they come to me, we do everything. We talk about the geography. So we go outside and we create relief maps. When we talk about politics and government, they know all about what's going on in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Every time we talk about a different nation and we talk about the different types of government, we bring in Ukraine. We are in Southeast Asia, so we learn to eat with chopsticks because in East Asia, they have chopsticks because it's more energy efficient. We talked about the history of chopsticks. They made egg rolls. So we did a joy survey, and the math and reading teachers are like, Well, Ms. Burley, of course, they love your class because they get to eat and do all these things in your class. Mm. And I'm like, you you teach math. You could do the same thing. They could do a recipe and cut it in half and you're working on fractions. You could deal with money. You could literally bring stacks of money up here and let them count and figure out, do an algebraic problem. What do I need in order to make this type of money? There's so many things they can do. The answer to your question is, Mm. because I have so little time with the kids, I make the lessons as engaging as possible, as joyful as possible, Mm -hmm. in order to be as impactful as possible. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, I like that. It strikes me, too, even as you're describing the joy work, that like, when you ask parents, how do you know if your kid is doing well in school? Yes. Research is pretty clear. What parents say is they're happy. We want our kids to be happy. If they're happy at school— We know something big is going right, right?
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And they deserve it. All our kids deserve joy. My daughter, as an educator, I have put a lot of energy into where she goes to school and where her opportunities are. And I'm blessed to be able to do that. But some parents... They have to send their students to the school that is in their community. I believe that all students deserve to have joy and experiences and come home and tell their parents, we did this today or we went here, even if it's just a virtual trip.
0: Mm -hmm. So what's your advice to parents as you're navigating this year and kids being far behind in many cases, but wanting to bring them joy You mentioned texting with your parents. Like, what are some of the key messages that you're sharing with your families or questions you're asking families right now to help you guys make a plan to support our kids together?
1: Well, for me, and this is something that I'm super passionate about, I tell my parents, read to them every day. Read with them every day day. I have students who don't read well. I only have about one or two students that cannot read. Mm -hmm. Most of my students, I probably say about 30% of my students do not read well. They are Mm. reading below grade level. However, they do have the phonetic background. So what I'll do is we have to differentiate. I have a group of kids that are working on this activity. I take three or four outside, and we just work Uh. on reading one paragraph, just one. And it might take 20 minutes, but we read at least one paragraph for me to show them You can do it, number one, and you can glean information from this text, number two. It's an exercise I do trying to take students from being dependent learners to independent. So what I tell my parents is that they need to read anything. Let them Mm -hmm. read anything. They need to read 15 minutes a day because they are not going to be able to pass a math test or Mm -hmm. a reading test. They're not going to be able to pass life's test because, for me, that's what it's about if they don't have good comprehension skills. So, mm-hmm. as a social studies teacher, and I am a reading teacher. A social studies teacher is a reading teacher. Yeah. A science teacher is a math teacher. Yeah, <laughs> every teacher is a reading teacher, really. To be honest, yeah, that is really what I would say. I mean, sometimes the gaps are just so big; they mm-hmm. really are so big. That is where you get your biggest bang for your buck. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's very good advice. I'm like. Thinking of myself, I got a little one minus almost four at home, but we read every night. We read together. I do think as parents, we hear those messages. So thank you for continuing to send them. great. You mentioned a couple of things earlier I want to pick up on because you're talking about what you're doing in the classroom to scaffold, support our kids, what parents could do at home. You're also a Teach Plus Policy Fellow. And what we like Mm -hmm. to do is also give parents some advocacy tips, like what are some things they should be curious about, they're asking about right now? What are some of the things you're learning about from a policy perspective and that you're seeing play out directly in your classroom that you want our listeners to know a little more about?
1: Well, thank you. There's a number of things, but one I would really push parents to ask about what is their district doing with the ESSER funds.
0: E-S-S-E-R, the ESSER funds.
1: Yes, ESSER funds. Everybody Um, in your
0: school district will know what that is, even if you don't. Exactly.
1: Just say ESSER (laughs) funds. They'll be like, oh, this parent knows something. It's COVID relief. It's money that has been given to the district to provide high-impact tutoring. And high-impact tutoring is like not just two words put together. It means something. Like there are some criteria that go with high-impact tutoring. I know in the state of Texas, On the Texas Education Agency website, it defines what high-impact tutoring is. Mm. Schools have received these funds for the last two years. And how is your district, how are they using the funds? Mm -hmm. I know that in my district, they are receiving the funds. I don't believe it's being used successfully. Mm -hmm. As a Teach Plus fellow, I did a little... Survey. As a fellow, I have access to teachers across the state of Texas and 15 school districts. I asked teachers, is there a tutoring plan for students who have been absent due to COVID and is it being faithfully implemented? Mm. Out of 15 schools, only one. One school. Shout out to Walasco ISD (laughs) near the border. Those people, they have it set up. They have a teacher designated on the campus to tutor directly with kids who are on quarantine or who have been in quarantine to work to catch them up. Well, I wrote an article about absenteeism, and I talked about this student of mine, and I called him Brian. That's not his name, but I called him Brian. Love him to death. He's one of my developmental readers. Lots of energy, but I mean, gives the greatest hugs. I love that little boy. And the new year came. I'm like, I have not seen Brian. I haven't seen, where's Brian? The Mm -hmm. middle of January, I think it was like the 17th, 18th. It was after Martin Luther King holiday. He finally shows up for the first time in 2022. Brian, where have you been? Oh, I had COVID. And then my sister had, so I had to stay with them. And Uh. I had to, and he's just behind He's missed like three weeks worth of work. So we're not doing anything, not on my campus. Mm-hmm. And of the Dallas ISD teachers that completed the survey, not on their campus. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about Houston ISD, Fort Worth ISD. Where these are big cities big, in big Texas. <laughs> yeah. If you're not from Texas. Of the cross-section of teachers, nobody has a plan. So there is money, but we're not using it.
0: It sounds like part of it is just that there should be a plan for If there are disruptions in learning, right? Like We are living in a world now where you might have to quarantine for a couple of weeks. The school might randomly be closed for a couple of weeks. How does learning continue despite that disruption? That's a question parents
1: should be asking too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are organizations and I know that the district was working, according to the Dallas Morning News, was working to hire tutors to come in and be a part of this funding. And I know on my campus, teachers are being offered $50 an hour to stay, but we would have to stay until, like, almost 6.30. Mm. So a lot of teachers don't take advantage of that because now that the sun is out, (laughs) it would be dark by 5. It's a long day for teachers. Exactly. And kids, yeah. I'm like, why don't we use those funds for technology Mm. i can go home Mm. and cook dinner and then meet my kids at 6 30 to 7 30 and we have a little community and they're at home i'm at home we have the technology for that now yeah but there was a study that i read because a lot of people say and it's true that online learning is not Mm. an effective way
0: a replacement right it is not yeah yeah
1: absolutely not But it's still a tool that can be used, if used correctly, Mm -hmm. using those three strategies I've said about engagement. You can't just get on virtual learning and teach the same way you teach in a classroom. Yeah, Create a community and you got to have parent involvement. There was an article that talked about how successful online learning can be for students when parents are involved.
0: Yeah, yeah, I believe it. Angela, I could just talk to you all day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Thank Thank you you so much for all of this great advice. We've talked a lot about challenges and learning loss. Before we go, what is one thing that parents can start doing right now? Because we're going to be... Releasing this episode in May, Teacher Appreciation Week. So what is something parents can be doing right now, looking ahead to the summer, to support their kids?
1: I think number one is read. I'm a big proponent of reading. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, I have to think through the lens of the students that I teach. <laughs> because... yeah. I have always taught in a community where I felt like I was needed. That has been my mission. I became a teacher through a ministry, and I believe teaching is a ministry. So for my students, I believe that we have to give kids' learning opportunities in the summer. There is so much learning loss in the summer. We talk about learning loss because of COVID. Well, we've always had to deal with learning loss during what yeah. we call summer vacation. <laughs> uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. Now, some kids
1: are blessed to have opportunities where they go on vacations in the summer. They go out of the country during the summer. They go the to
0: summer. camps. They camps go, yeah.
1: in Richmond. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a predicament where you don't have that, I would say talk to your teachers. Is this another ESSER
0: fund question? Like you should have summer programming?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I know that there's summer program and summer funding for that. So that's why parents who don't know, please talk with your campus. Please talk with the counselors or talk with a good teacher because they can direct you to where your child doesn't have to lose learning. And also... I would say, and this is just personal, don't put your kids in math testing camps, star camps, standardized testing flavored camps. They need to be outside figuring out how a rocket works, or Mm. they need to be writing poetry or creating art. Their mind needs to be growing. They don't need to be turned off to education. So parents, whatever demographic, look for an educational opportunity that is joyful, Mm. that brings them happiness. I like that. And read.
0: (laughs) I'm always going to end with read. (laughs) And read books they love
1: and let them read. As much as they struggle, let
0: them read. Oh, that's wonderful advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Angela.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the platform. I love your questions. Thank you for this.
0: Before we go, we've touched on a lot of topics, including learning loss. Are there any resources that you recommend to parents, or that if they want to dive into this topic a little more, you'd encourage them to check out, or your own Twitter? This is your plugging opportunity, so.
1: (laughs) I wish I had something to plug. I'd say Mm -hmm. if I want to plug anything, I want to plug bookstores and your public libraries. Like, Mm -hmm. let them go to story time and sit in the half-price books or the Barnes and Nobles or whatever. And don't buy a thing. Just sit around and look at books and read because that's what gets kids excited about learning. You just want them to be excited.
0: Yes, of course, (laughs) of course. So thank you again. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us as well. Learn more about this episode and more at notesfromthebackpack.com. Thank you for tuning in to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at National PTA and online at pta.org forward slash backpacknotes.